0: Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. And he's going to bring another word from the I Dare series, which has been yes. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't the only one who thought that it's been fantastic and challenging. Yes. Who knew? Anyway. Okay enjoy. Thank you, Stacey. Oh, Thank you, Stacey, Stacey. Wow, is everybody there this morning? You guys are all quiet. Yeah, very quiet today. It's, uh, I'm glad that you're here. Um, it is a good time to be here. I feel God's word this morning is a challenging one. Um, and um, prepare your hearts just saying, God, you know, work in me if it's me that you're speaking to. Um, I don't want to miss it. I want to hear what you've got to say. So we're going to start reading and Daniel chapter four It's quite a bit of reading today. So I'll start and then we'll, we'll try and see if we can get through all of it. Uh, chapter four, verse 10. This is what I saw as I was stretched out on my bed. Wow. I like it when God speaks when we, when I'm there. Right, I like it when I'm stretched out on the bed, ready to sleep. And then God comes and he talks to us then. And this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. I saw a big towering tree at the center of the world. As I watched, the tree grew huge and strong. Its top reached the sky and it could be seen from the four corners of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit abundant, enough fruit for everyone. Wild animals found shelter under it. Birds nested in its branches, everything living was fed and sheltered by it. That's amazing. It continues. And this also is what I saw as I was stretched out on my bed. I saw a holy watchman descend from heaven and call out, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the animals from beneath it and shoo the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, belt it with a strap of iron and bronze in the grassy meadow. Verse 15, let him be soaked in heaven's dew and take his meals with the animals that graze. Let him lose his mind and get an animal's mind in exchange and let this go on. For seven seasons. That is not lyrics to a worship song that we will write today. (laughs) That is like, wow, that's a pretty, pretty intense. So, this is Nebuchadnezzar, this is everything that's being downloaded to him, right? So, this is not something that is just random. This is what he hears, what God is saying to me. Continues The angels announce the decree, the holy watchmen bring the sentence, so that everyone living will know that the high God rules human kingdoms. He arranges kingdom's affairs however he wishes, and he makes leaders out of losers. Wow. So this is the dream. Daniel is one of the most, um, especially the first seven chapters, it's really, it, it, is, it is an incredible book to read because there are so many stories and dreams and visions and things. And what I love about all of this is all of this is documented historically, not just by the Bible, but by... All their tablets, I gave the name of it last week, I can't remember right now. There's over 1,800 tablets that they have found that shows the same as what we find in the Bible. So historically, this is a well-documented event that took place. And it would be well-documented because the most powerful man on the earth had a dream. He calls in all the wise sayers, all the scribes, everybody that's supposed to take note of his kingdom and what he's doing. They have to write all of this down. That's why it's so amazing that we have this available for us today, not just in the Bible, but in other documents also. This dream is an incredible dream. And where this dream leads me is, it leads me to, to understand that when we look at King Nebuchadnezzar, it says he had the highest tree, it could be seen from everywhere. Everything was, was from him, all food, all protection, all covering was from this one guy, and then it gets chopped down. So what I've discovered from the story, and when we read the rest of Daniel, is you will discover that pride is the only disease known to mankind that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. Pride comes to a fall. Pride is something that, that we are all aware of. It's in the world around us. A modern day, an example is in, well, modern day, 1971. It was called the greatest fight of all times. Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser. And Muhammad Ali said these words before the fight. He said, There seems to be some confusion. We're going to clear this up. This confusion will be cleared up on March 8th. We're going to decide once and for all who is king. There's no man alive who can whoop me. I'm too smart. I'm too pretty. I am the greatest. I am the king. I should be a postage stamp. That's the only way I could ever get licked. And man, was he licked. He lost badly. Pride came to a fall. Pride is the oldest sin in the universe. In the universe. Pride is what caused Lucifer to rebel against God. Pride is what dislodged Lucifer from heaven. It's also what drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, pride. It's what dislodged Nebuchadnezzar from the most powerful kingdom on the earth that has ever been or ever will be. Man's kingdom. And what's amazing about this chapter 4 is that at the end of this chapter, Nebi writes a message to everyone. He wanted to get this message out. He wants to make sure. And what, also what's quite amazing is in the whole Old Testament, there is not one written chapter or, or um, scribe or scripture that is written by a Gentile except this. This is so important that God said, listen, I'm not, it's not just a Jew that's going to write this. This is a Gentile that wrote this. His exact words which means it's pretty important. Nebuchadnezzar wants us all to know that we have to let go of pride. So after this event, so he dreams, the dream gets interpreted. It takes about eight years for this whole thing to happen. And we're going to look at what the dream is and exactly what happened and how it played out. But the whole event took about eight years. And then at the end of the eight years, he writes this in verse 37. Those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So, if pride is our greatest enemy, then humility is our greatest friend. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I read an article, great study that was done at the University of California. Riverside, the study was about how people um, see themselves, how people view themselves compared to how observers view the same people. So the study, it was about a group of students, and what happened is the students rated themselves as cheerful, warm, and intelligent. Doesn't that sound like all students, how they would rate themselves? Cheerful, warm, and intelligent. But observers saw them as hostile, deceitful, and condescending. The name of the article is, Study Says Jerks Have Too Much (laughs) Self-Esteem. Daniel chapter 4 is one where we read where there's a man that thinks so highly of himself that God says, I'm going to humble him. Now, if you were Nebuchadnezzar and we go back to chapter 2 remember chapter 2 it was the first dream where Daniel came in and said this is the dream and this is the interpretation there's a statue you are the head of gold Nebuchadnezzar was in oh wow you you got the interpretation you knew exactly what the dream was nobody told you and was like your god is the god 16 years forward later kingdom is stronger Nebuchadnezzar instead of still being aware that God is the God of gods he builds himself a statue of gold massive statue Pure gold, not just the head, because he want to defy God's dream and say, listen, God, you are not that powerful. I will, I will show you. I've got something to prove. Everything is of gold. I will not fall. And then what happens is he says everybody has to bow down to this statue, and we know three guys did not bow down. And then there was this miraculous event in the fiery furnace, which we spoke about last week. And again, Nebuchadnezzar is in awe. It is saying, anybody who speaks against this God, listen to how strong his statement was. They will be cut into pieces and their homes will become ash. So strong statement about God, right? Strong statement. Now, once again. He is at a place where God reveals something to him. And we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 19. That's where we'll begin. Daniel chapter 4. This is the revelation to the powerful king. So he's he's already had two major events. Two major things happened to him. Third one. Then Daniel, whose name was Balthasar, that's his Babylonian name, was astonished for a time. And his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Balthasar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you, but be answered and said, my Lord, may the, yeah, it's easier. (laughs) My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, Whose height reached the heavens and which could not see, and which could be seen from all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beast of the fields dwelt, uh, the beast of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the air had their home. That tree, it is you, O king. You have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven. And your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stumps and roots to the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation of that O oh, king this is the decree of the most high which has come upon my lord the king they shall they shall drive you from men your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen they shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you Till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Evidently, as soon as the king told Daniel the dream. The king could read in Daniel's face that interpretation is not good. It says he was appalled. Daniel was appalled when he heard the dream because he immediately knew what the message was that God wanted him to give to Nebuchadnezzar. He was emotionally agitated by what he heard. Now, this reveals something to me about Daniel. And I want to say this again, Life Church. When we look at the book of Daniel, it's basically written in the same time frame that we are living in today. Daniel is living in a liberal world where anything goes, when there is no right or wrong, where where the only thing you have to do is serve the kings and the rulers of the age, bow down to, to the false gods to whatever they proclaimed, that was the rule of the day. And what we have to get from this book of Daniel is, God, how can we as believers that feel that we are supposed to have a greater impact, how can we as believers apply this word to our lives so that we can also influence those who live around us? How can we fill these seats how can we make sure that my neighbor, my son, my daughter, uh, my cousin, my friend, my, the guys I go to, to work with, how can I, what can I do? How can I be effective to bring your word in such a way that they have a desire to enter into the kingdom of God? So I'm looking at Daniel here, and this guy His whole attitude is so revealing. The first thing that I want you to know is he doesn't hold back. (laughs) He tells him exactly the interpretation of the dream. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't make it sound like a little softer. Just want to make it a little softer than what it is. He tells him exactly what it means. But the fact that Daniel was astonished, he goes, oh, I wish that this did not apply to you. Shows me that Daniel, though he proclaims judgment on the king through God's revelation, it shows me that he loved the king. And he didn't want these things to happen to him. That there was a relationship between Daniel and the king. There was a love and a respect. And it was hard for Daniel to tell the king about the trouble that's coming his way. All servants of God, that, that is us. All servants are God, of God, we are to be like that. No authentic follower of Jesus should enjoy God's judgment on the world. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be happy uh, with the thought of, oh, just wait till you get what's coming to you. That should never be our heart's attitude. We should have this mindset of saying, God loves you. I love you. I want the best for you. If that love is not, I want to say, almost uh, percolating in our hearts for, for the unbelievers, for our friends and for our family members, that has to be, it has to be stirring in us the way it was stirring in Daniel. We should never proclaim doom with a smile. Never. Daniel says, O king, you are the tree. The tree gets chopped down. A stump is left that is protected for a period of time. The tree speaks of the disgrace and the removal of King Nebi. He will only be left as a stump. In other words, God isn't done with him yet. The good news is there's still a stump. He will eventually reign again. That's interpretation. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he's listening to this. So he trusts Daniel for the interpretation. He tells him the dream, and Daniel says to him, you are the tree. You will be chopped down. There will only be a stump remaining. The stump will be protected. So he's getting all the information, but what's happening to Nebuchadnezzar, he's getting information, he's getting revelation, he's getting understanding. Now I understand more what the dream means. He kind of had an idea already, but now this is confirming it to his heart. So he's aware of what's happening around him. And King Nebi, even though he's aware of what's happening, he has the same response that every unbeliever and believer has when we hear God's revelation and God's word. He has the same choice in response. Whether you hear it through a personal testimony of somebody um, if you're in the street, if you're an unbeliever, um, those of you watching online, maybe you don't believe in Christ yet. Maybe there's some of you here. Um, you've been to church, whether you hear it in church, whether you hear it through gospel music, whether you listen to a podcast, whether, whether you've come to a Christmas service or Easter or whatever it might be, wherever you hear the word, you have you have a choice of one of two responses. You can either choose to respond to it and say, Jesus, I receive the love that you have shown me, and I receive the salvation, the price that you have paid for me. And with that, what happens is I now qualify for relationship with you, which means also that one day I will spend time in heaven, or you can reject it. You can say, I don't need it. You have one of those two responses. Nebuchadnezzar had one of two responses here. Either I'm going to listen to God's word and respond Daniel's going to give me a response, how I should respond in a few minutes, and respond that way, or I can just choose to respond the way I've been responding. I hear the word, I hear the word, I see miraculous things, but change doesn't happen until you say I'm going to apply it to my life. What I would like about Daniel is that once he gives him the information in verse 26, and this is again, it's another key for us, he doesn't stop by just giving him information. He continues on. He says, um, Daniel, um, verse 27, Therefore, O king, now, therefore, O king, now, I want you to understand, the moment he adds is therefore, this is no longer interpretation, this is now confrontation. So Daniel comes, he gives interpretation, and he moves from interpretation to confrontation. So there is a therefore. And he says, I hope that you're going to apply it. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. In other words, dude, if I were you, I would turn from my sin. I would repent right here, right now. I'd get right with God. He brings interpretation, and then he brings confrontation. How many of you think Nebuchadnezzar did the repenting thing at that point? Anybody? No, good. He didn't. He didn't do it. He's listening. He's impressed. But he's not going to change right away. He should have. Daniel was right. Because God could have prolonged his prosperity. But here's what I want you to see: Daniel did not just give the king revelation information, but he gave the king compassionate confrontation. I want that. I want you to say that: compassionate confrontation, compassionate confrontation it should become part of our lives. Compassionate confrontation. I'll say it again: compassionate confrontation. That is where you lovingly, gently, but firmly get into the grill of somebody and tells them what's up Stacy did you see i just used all the modern terms yeah kids know it compassionate confrontation we find the way to do it in galatians 6 verse 1 kind and compassionate confrontation this should this should be part of our church if a man be overtaken in any trespass you who are spiritual Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Compassionate confrontation. This is not blind compassion that we are supposed to live in. We shouldn't be blind in the sense of going, you know what, I'm just going to close my eyes and not look at what they are doing. I'll pray for them in secret. That is not compassionate confrontation that he's talking about. It's also, we are not called, and this is so easy, and, and it's almost, in today's world, this is the easiest. We are not called to be spiritual ostriches, where we stick our heads in the ground and say, la I can't hear what's going on around me. We are supposed to care enough about our friends, and our family members, and our children, and our neighbors, and our community, that we are willing to speak in compassionate confrontation. Now, the other side of that is, this does not mean that God is calling us to look for the devil in everyone we know. This, I just want this to be clear because it's so easy to jump from the one to the other. There are some people who pride themselves in being sin sniffers. Right? It's their gift. right, they are sin sniffers, that's what I'm called to be, I'm God's sin sniffer, I am the fault finder in people, we're not called to be that, they're just going around trying to cut people down, trying to make people feel guilty, that's not a compassionate confrontation, now, you must have the right context and the right things in order to be a compassionate confrontation, to bring com- compassionate confrontation. I'm going to show it to you. Number one, the first context is relationship. This is something that, that I saw in, in when I was with, with Kaylee in Vegas recently. And there was the street evangelist. Um, you know, um, you're going to hell. Yelling on a megaphone to people that he doesn't know. Doesn't have relationship with any person there, but yelling words of doom and destruction over people. The key to change our community and our family members is relationship. It starts there. You must have relationship established. So Daniel moved from revelation to confrontation in these verses. Therefore, O king, I urge you to turn from your sin. Do it now. This is something that the whole body is called to do. You have friends. You have friends that you know that are struggling, either in the relationship with the husband and wife, or in their parenting, or in their conduct. Maybe they drink too much. Maybe they use too much drugs. Maybe they are so invested in their work that they are neglecting their family. Maybe it's it's, um, um, anger issues. If you are... uh, Caring and loving for that person, you are supposed to do what Daniel is doing here. I urge you to turn from this. But you can't go up to a stranger and tell them that because it comes from love. That's what we move from. So this is something that we are all obligated to do. There's an obligation for us in the Word to do this. But that obligation, it comes with some qualifications. Now, listen very carefully, because some of you are really good at confrontation, but you are lacking in some of these qualifications. Now, the good thing about these qualifications is they are achievable. These are not qualifications that are impossible. We can make a difference in confronting people in our lives' sin in such a way that they turn to God, and you can be qualified to do this. And it's not just the pastor's job or the church's job. So so here we go. It says in Galatians 6 verse 1, here's the qualifications for how we are supposed to confront people. If a man be taken by any trespass, meaning if they're not sin, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, not out of pride, not out of condemnation, Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So, number one, in order for me to confront people, you who are spiritual, you need the right base. You yourself, you need to be saved, you need to be spirit filled. Spirit-directed in your conversation with how you speak to people. It's not a blanket, I'm going to read a passage to them right now. No, it's like, God, how am I going to communicate with this person that you can hit their heart? So you who are spiritual, number one. Number two, you need the right motives. (laughs) And I know for some of us, our motives are wrong. I just want to tell people they're wrong. They're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. You must have the right motive. The motive is what? What? restore that's why i want to confront them because i want to restore them restoration it's not about making the person feel bad number three you need the right attitude restore such a one with a spirit of meekness gentleness now that meekness remember the word meekness is equivalent to a stallion that has the power to throw off the rider but chooses to submit his power to the one he's calling Lord. That's meekness. You have the ability to throw things around, but I'm going to submit myself to God's ways. So spirit of meekness, and number four, you have to approach with humility, understanding that you yourself are simply a forgiven sinner you're not better than what they are. I think one of the best examples I find of this is the Lord Jesus Christ when his disciples came to supper the one night. It was the last supper and they had dirty feet. And what did Jesus do with their dirty feet? He washed them. He didn't chop them off like dirty feet. Let's get rid of those. He didn't take out a pocket knife and start scraping off the dirt. I want you to notice, he gently and thoroughly Watch their feet. The right combination of compassion and confrontation is powerful. It's powerful. Question Will that change a person? Well, if you approach with revelation, truth, compassionate confrontation, will that person change? Maybe, maybe not. But, life church, you've done your job. Now, it's up to the Holy Spirit. He's called the hound of heaven. He will continue to chase them down. But we have to do our part. So, we now go from revelation to a powerful king, and then confrontation to a vulnerable king, to the humiliation of a prideful king. Verse 28, all this. That Daniel said came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking around the royal palace in Babylon. 12 months, a whole year passed. The impression is that whatever happened 12 months ago, it can fade away. And we've seen this already with King Nebuchadnezzar. It happens to him often. So here's my question. Why did God delay 12 months? Why wait 12 months? Because of mercy. Because mercy. Mercy. God wanted to give him the opportunity to repent, take the advice of Daniel, and change his ways. God gave 12 months, an entire year. And it's the same reason why God is patient with you and with me. It's mercy and grace. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So after 12 months, we're now in verse 30, the king spoke saying, so this is the king walking around in his, in, in his castle. The most incredible building, the walls are incredible. The, the this, um, seventh wonders in the ancient time, the garden of Babylon is right there. It's the most amazing place in the world. He's walking around, looking at all of it. And he's saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. What a proud little peacock he is. Well, look at my feathers. So he's walking around a year later on top of his home, walking in pride, and you'll notice the next verse, and this is quite amazing. God's judgment strikes at midnight. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They will make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you. The seven times shall pass over you refers to seven years. Seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high ruler in the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomever he chooses. That every, uh, that, that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair has grown like eagle's feathers and his nails, nails like bird's claws. Wow. Again, I think this is one of the most amazing books in the Bible. Can you imagine this whole thing playing out? Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king of all time, is reduced to an animal. God hates pride. Hates it. Why? Because he knows where it leads. He knows where pride goes. It will eventually be dealt with here on earth or in this life in the judgment to come. Pride will be dealt with. Here's the thing the Bible tells us God opposes the proud. Now, that word there, which says God opposes the proud, it's actually a uh, defensive athletic term. It's in football when they do the, the, the defense you know, when they have the two lines and they're kind of looking at each other and you've got the defense team, what are they trying to do? They're trying to stop you from moving forward. Now this oppose, God opposes the proud is for the reason God does not want you to get to the cliff where there is a fall. God is not opposing in, in um, he's not against you. He's against where pride is going to take you. So God's opposing the proud. And so we see uh, this bizarre form. What happens to Nebuchadnezzar is a a psychotic hysteria known in the medical terminology as Insania zoantropica, Where a man believes he's an ox. This happened. He believed he was an ox. Now, his case is not the only case we have found um, in history. Uh, in the modern times, just a few years ago, R.K. Harrison, a medical doctor, responded um, to a similar, similar case in the, U, in, in the UK. He says, the patient was in his early 20s. His daily routine consisted of wandering around the magnificent lawns of the institution. His custom was to pluck up and eat handfuls of grass as he went along. The only physical abnormality noted consistent with the lengthening of hair and the coarse thickening and condition of his fingernails. He continues, without institutional care, the patient would have manifested precisely the same physical conditions as those mentioned in Daniel chapter 4, verse 33. A modern example of Nebuchadnezzar, closing quote. But now we get to the best part of the story. Worship team, you can come up. Best part of the story. And this is often what we find in Daniel. We have the rise and then the revelation. And then most in every, all of the chapters that we've gone through so far, there's a turning that happens. So in verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar, writing in the first person. Says, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, not mine. His kingdom is from generation to generation, not mine. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the King of heaven. All whose works are truth, and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, listen to him, he is able to put down. Last part of that verse. All who work walk in pride, he is able to put down. You remember what Jesus said in Luke 18? Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But everybody who humbles himself will be exalted. Nebuchadnezzar exalted himself, he was humbled. Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself, he was exalted. There's one attitude that will make God resist you. It's an attitude of pride. I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I've been doing it on my own for so long. I don't need God's principles. I don't, I don't need to do things His way. I don't have to follow His regulations in the Bible. Nobody else is doing it. I've got things covered. I kind of know what I'm doing. I, you know, I'm listening to teachings during the week. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm not applying this stuff, but I'm listening. I don't really need to do it. I simply need to listen to it. That's kind of my mindset. And in so many ways, we are opposing God With our attitudes as believers God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble he opposes the proud he gives grace to the humble the disease is pride the cure is humility two brothers grew up on a farm one stayed on the farm one left the farm and he went to get some more education got educated became a politician very prominent politician in his community One day he came back to the brother who stayed on the farm, the educated brother, and said to the farming brother, you know, you are to leave the farm and you are to get a better education. You are to make a name for yourself. You can hold your head up high in this world. The two of them were outside when he said this. And so the farming brother puts his arm around his brother and he points, shows his brother, says, you see those fields you see the grain in the fields. It says, look very, very closely. And notice, only the empty heads stand up. Those that are well filled, bow down. Humility. I would say it's better to recognize it now. If there's things of you, in you, um, that pride that's keeping you from doing God's principles in your life, from inviting people, from being uh, compassionate, confrontational, saying, oh, that's not for me. Listen, submit to God's ways. We are called to do that. Church, we are called to reach the lost. We are called to make a difference. So, humility. How do we start with the right, right attitude in order to be confrontational, loving, confrontational? How do we start? How do we Become more humble. Four things. Number one, pray. You gotta pray. Doesn't matter where it is and when it is. Every day, prayer says, God, I'm not just depending on me, I'm dependent on you. Prayer shows that there's something greater than yourself in this world that you are trusting in. Pray, number one. A prayerful person is dependent on God, so pray. Number two, to be humble, worship authentically. Because authentic worship, your focus is not on you, it's on Him. It's not about how well you sing on tune, or it's about our heart's condition. It's about God, I am worshiping you, I'm laying my life down in front of you. I don't like that song, it's not about you because you're not singing it to you. You're singing it to Him. Authentic worship. Number three, encouragement. You, you wanna, we want to be a people that's humble and that's going to make a difference in this world. Encourage others. Because what it means is you are observing somebody else and you're seeing something in them that you recognize and that you're going to, with effort, go and say, I just want to encourage you with what you are doing. What it does is it takes a focus off you and it places it on somebody else. Humility. And the last one, serve. Perform a task that's not part of your job description. It might not be part of your job description to pick up a piece of paper. It's not part of my job description. I get that. But when we do things that's not part of what is expected of us, we are serving others. It shows that it's not, not just doing this because I'm getting paid for it. I'm doing this because I want to show others that I am a servant. The same way Jesus washed the disciples' feet. There was no need for that. But it was Him serving them. The story of Nebuchadnezzar is, is an amazing story. The purpose of all of this is so that we can be more effective in the world that we are living in. If there's pride in your heart right now, I know some, some of us are <laughs> reluctant to acknowledge that we have pride. Um, but what I want to do is during this last song, um, you guys can come up, please move forward. Um, make room is the song. And the intention of this song is, God, I will make room. I will not, there's nothing that I'm going to hold back from you. I'm going to make room for whatever you have me do. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do that. I'm going to lay down my own thoughts, my own ideas, my ways of doing, and I'm going to do things your way. So, in the song, have that heart's condition of saying, God, speak to me. There's nothing that I want to withhold from you. I'm opening everything up. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.